Hello and welcome to the Navy Blue Corner. I'm Ian and I am back for a 2023 AFL trade period recap. Sorry for the delay on this episode. Lockie still away in the States. I myself was away on a much needed holiday to Vanuatu. And then look, as luck would have it, immediately upon my arrival in Australia, Australia, I got sick and couldn't record, which is just the way that this caper always goes. So look, let's not worry about that. I'm back. I'm healthy enough. So let's dive straight into some more off-season content, taking a look at Carlton's trade period activity. We'll start by looking at all the ins and outs. So in with this trade period, Elijah Hollands, Orazio Fantasia, we'll include him as well. Picks 22-26, future fourth round from the Doggies, one from Freo and one from Gold Coast as well. The outs a Fisher Dow, pick 17, future third round, and a future fourth. So plenty to go on. We'll be diving in and looking at each of these deals individually, looking at the depth chart, even talking about the players that we delisted and that did retire to kind of see where are the gaps that have been left? Have we filled them? Trying to grade this trade period and take a look at what still needs to be addressed in the draft period, which we're going to cover. There's so much to dive into. So let's start with the Elijah Hollands trade, there's quite a bit to uh, uncover in this one. But let's start at the trade itself. In the end, Carlton receive Elijah Hollands pick 28 and a future fourth rounder. We gave up pick 26 and a future third rounder tied to Essendon. Basically, to break this one down, to simplify it, if, I'm pos- if that's possible, because Nick Austin loves convoluting these trades just to make sure that Carlton get a win out of it. Basically, this trade here, we moved back two spots from pick 26 to pick 28. Now, to complicate this even more, Gold Coast, with their academy bidding that they are going to do in this draft, their pick 26 basically gets absorbed once they start bidding on players. So our pick 28 basically becomes 27. We really, in this, only move back one spot in the draft. Nothing of significance there. You can almost just cross that part of the trade out and not worry about it. So if you do so, basically we got Hollands and moved back in next year's draft from a third round pick to a fourth round pick. That's basically all we did. Not that bad in the end of it. And if you again factor in these Camparelli twins that we're going to try and bring in in next year's draft, moving back from a third round to a fourth round next year, isn't a significant loss because we really are just after those draft points rather than making sure we've got a really good draft hand. Most likely we won't be needing or picking up a player next year in that third round. We'll just be bidding on the Camparelli twins and that kind of might be our activity, maybe a really late pick or, or someone in the rookie draft. So in the end, a pretty handy pickup here and thoughts on the player for me. Look, it's been highlighted quite a lot elite runner and he's going to really add to that midfield half forward depth that I think that we're going to need quite a versatile player he spent time out on the wing for Gold Coast and he's he's been okay it's probably not the area that suits him the most where you've kind of seen him really flourish he's been in that VFL he's shown that he can be that inside midfielder dominated in the VFL grand final I think he had about eight clearances or something insane had a bunch of tackles it was 30 touches, just an absolute all-round game from him. And so I think he's shown some versatility, shown that he can maybe take over a bit of that Paddy Dow depth in midfield if we're desperate for it. But I really kind of see him maybe a bit more of that outside player using his ball use that he's got. He's good by foot. He's got a bit more of that pace. 
to a degree, but he's that elite runner. So he's going to outrun guys on the field, just beat them by work rate. And you kind of need that from a half forward, that high half forward position. You get lost quite a lot. So if he's got that tank to be able to take over from someone on the wing, as we saw at certain stages here with, you know, Doc, Akers, Cottrell, those guys all kind of interchanging. I think that's going to be a good point of difference. He can hit the scoreboard as well. Kind of really what we're looking for here. And he is one of those players. He was originally a pick seven in the 2020 draft. So we've got that high upside. Much has been spoken about the ACL in his draft year when originally he was potentially a top one, most likely a top three or five pick slid out. And since then, he just really hasn't developed or, or maybe had that time to develop. I know not a lot of people will rate Gold Coast list that high, but the one thing that they've kind of got a plethora of at the moment is really young, hungry, good mids. You look at Raul, you look at Anderson, you look at a guy like Bailey Humphreys as well coming through. There wasn't a lot of room for a guy like Hollins to maybe develop after his injury and, and take those spots, which is why you saw him not play. It's why you saw him out on the wing. And look, we also have a lot of midfield depth but he's a different player than the kind of midfielders that we have, and particularly that that high half forward that we're really lacking. So I, I really think that there's a, a big opportunity for a guy like Elijah to to take that spot. He's kind of competing with a Cottrell, with a Cunningham, Fogarty even, those guys that are playing that half forward role, moving into the midfield. But he's just got a higher ceiling, I think, than all of those guys. And he's still young, still plenty of time to develop. I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of excited, and and we'll talk about the downside of him, the drug possession charges as well. It's a big story to it, but I just think that the environment he's going to be in now hopefully can help get the best out of him. And touching on this, look, it's it's not ideal, not an ideal start to a new football club, uh, but it it could be just what he needs, and it makes his three-year deal that we originally brought him over on, it cuts it down to one, which. I don't know. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It kind of protects the club a little bit, knowing that there's this cloud kind of hanging over him. We don't know, and I'm not going to speculate just on where he sits in this sort of drug-related issue. Is it was it a couple of time thing? Is who knows? I'm not going to sit here and say I have any idea what's going on, but I'm just hoping that now that it's happened, this can be maybe a bit of a wake-up call and. He's surrounded now in Melbourne by family. He's got, you know, Ollie with him at the club, which is going to help be that right environment. And these are the kind of things where I'm not worried because I back our culture in. There has not really been any issues at the Carlton Football Club since this rebuild started. The players seem incredibly close and supportive of each other, not only off the field, but you hear Harry Mackay speak about it. It's on the field too, in trying to get the best out of each other. So I, I think that, yeah, as I touched on this, this one-year deal instead of three, it, it protects the club, but it also sort of forces Elijah to make sure that he learns and grows from this in a short period of time. It, this is an incentive for him to not stuff up again and might be a dumb thing to say, but maybe it's exactly what he needs. This fresh start, bit of a wake-up call, his footy career and everyone's footy career, they don't last forever. The hype of you being what you did in the under-18s, you're being a top 10 draft pick, that doesn't last long. It's time to put the work in to prove yourself. And he gets that fresh start at Carlton in a good culture at a club that 
Finally, it looks like the on-field culture is right and the environment is there to get the best out of talent. I'm kind of excited for it. I'm not going to be putting too much pressure on him to start. We'll touch on the depth chart later and where I kind of see him in the pecking order right now. But what does excite me is the ceiling, something I will touch on. Ceiling is going to be the big word of this. It's one I love. I'd rather bring in a guy that has the potential to be a higher player, to be a top player, rather than someone that you just, you're going to cap them quite a lot. And for me, why not bring in a guy like Elijah Hollands? He's only now on the one-year deal. He's not on a ridiculous amount of money. We didn't give up a lot for him. As we said, it's basically moving a third-round pick to a fourth round next year. It's it's an, We pretty much got him for free, is what I'm saying. It's an absolute free hit, and now he's got to prove it. It's a positional need that we uh, had to address in this trade period. It's a tick for me. Very happy with that deal. Now we will move on to a couple of the players that we've moved on. First one, Paddy Dow. This was an incredibly convoluted four-team trade, but not going to worry about the other teams here. Just going to focus on Carlton. Basically, in this trade deal, we gave away Paddy Dow, a future third and a future fourth-round pick. In return, we received a future third-round pick tied to Essendon, a future fourth from the Dogs, and a future fourth from Frio. So let's break this down. Let's try and understand it. Basically, we potentially upgraded our third-round pick as we would expect to finish higher than Essendon. So that should be a win there in isolation. Looking at the future fourth-round pick from Frio, Kind of the same thing. We gave away a future fourth. We got in Frios. We expect to finish higher than them. So it is basically a slight upgrade in pick. Those two, you can kind of end up cancelling them out if you want, even though it is a bit of a win, just sort of slightly upgrading there. Take those away because it's a future third for a future third, future fourth for a future fourth. That leaves the trade deal basically being Paddy Dow for a future fourth round pick tied to the dogs, which kind of is just what the deal is. Unfortunately, with a guy like Paddy Dow, he just wasn't going to play for Carlton. We didn't play him a lot throughout his last few years out of contract. It means that his value, his trade value is down. Would have liked to get, have gotten a little bit more for him. It's just not the case. And, I think we kind of did the best that we could out of this deal, if I'm being honest. A fourth-round pick, you would have maybe liked to haggle for a third instead. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And when we're talking about these future picks anyway, we don't necessarily need them because of the Camparelli twins coming in next year. We just need draft points. So a third and a fourth, who really cares at the end of the day? We don't need to haggle over the, having such a better draft hand. So I like how Austin was able to get creative and just try to upgrade our picks for 2024 in that uh, Essendon deal and then also the Frio deal. And it's kind of the best you can get out of it. I know it sounds a bit convoluted. It sounds a bit stupid, but this is what Austin and co get paid to do in trying to get the best deal for Carlton. And I think that's what they were able to kind of get here to make this deal even more convoluted than it is already for the amount of times I've said future in this, that Essendon pick, the, the future third round pick, uh, that essentially ended up being on traded in the Hollands deal that I just spoke about as well. So 
this Dow trade did also allow us to facilitate bringing Elijah Hollands in, which is an even bigger win if you look at it. But I think everyone's a winner. That's why we bought four teams into this. Every team got what they wanted out of it. Strengthens our hand for next year to bring in the Camp Rally Twins. We weren't completely fleeced. We didn't have to end up getting nothing for Dow with Sauce being the St. Kilda list boss. I know we spoke about getting him to the PSD. That didn't happen. We got some value in. And yeah, I think it's kind of a win for me. I'm happy to take that as a tick for this deal. But now looking at Paddy Dow as the player, he's someone you'd love to keep as that kind of depth play option. We saw... Last year, we saw this year in particular, just how important depth is late in that season. And when he was when injury strike, when he's able to come in, he showed that he's decent at the level. But ultimately, he's 24 and he wants more game time. And we just can't offer him that. He's behind Cripps, Hewitt, Doc, Walsh, Chera, Kennedy. And it even looks like out of those guys I've just named, one of those is missing out from the best 22 or 23 so where is Dow in that? You, you talk about maybe the development of Carroll, who we bring in in the draft. Elijah Holland's coming into this. Does Cunningham get more midfield time? There's more names around this, and it just feels like Dow is just continually getting pushed further and further down that pecking order. Personally, I would have loved to have kept him as that break in case of emergency option, but you know, you're not. He's just not getting in over any of those guys mentioned. At some stage, he just wants to play football. As I said, with a Elijah Hollands in a sort of different aspect, the careers are short, and so for him, he's not breaking in at Carlton. Why not try somewhere else? So I don't really begrudge him for leaving. Somewhat similar, I would have loved to have gotten more value for him, but he, he's so far down. The, uh, the depth chart, he was out of contract. Fourth round pick is kind of all you can get. You know, if he was contracted, maybe you can haggle for a third rounder. But overall, in the in this grand scheme of things, I don't think it really matters a lot. We just need those draft points for next year. What you're kind of getting in for a Dow was just going to add to that. I think it's a, it's a win-win for everyone. Paddy Dow gets some game time potentially at the Saints and we improve our draft hand for next year for some points and and are able to use one of those picks to bring in Elijah Hollands, who hopefully has a bit more of a higher ceiling than we kind of predicted Paddy Dow at. But does it does it leave a hole is kind of that question because we saw the, the previous year with, with Setterfield, I guess, having to play a lot of game time. We moved him on, didn't really replace that in the depth chart. Now you've got a guy like Dow that leaves. You've got Ed Kernow as well. Is this an issue? Is this an issue? And and I will delve a lot further and address this, looking at the list, looking at the depth chart and trying to see all these individual players that have moved on, where we see us replacing them. And is there issues? Do we still need to address something in the draft? But just trying to look at it in isolation at the moment, I think this is where you're back in, you're Elijah Hollands. Maybe that draft day you get with your first pick and you hope that a guy like a Jack Carroll can start to take that next step. I said it before, but does Cunningham get more mid-time with the full preseason? I think there's options and I'm always trying to evolve the list, bring in more youth with higher ceilings. I think we all kind of saw Dow, he's got that decent level. I'm not sure he's got the next step in him. Maybe that's a little bit harsh. I'm keen to get to know your guys' thoughts on each of these individual trades. Do you like the player that we brought in? 
What do you think of the guy we got rid of? Do you think that the deal was a win for us? Who won the trade deal? Leave that all in the comments on YouTube or let us know at Navy Blue Corner on whatever social media you interact with us on. Very keen to get your thoughts on all of this and discuss it all further. But again, I just don't think Dow has that next level. level. So why not see if there's someone else that can take that next step? Moving on, talking about someone maybe similar to a Dow. Another example of those players that maybe haven't reached the full potential that we wanted in a Zach Fisher. He moves on, moves to North Melbourne. Spoke about this deal in another mini episode. So if you want it in a bit more detail, it's on there on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'll try to be brief with this one, but knowing me, I'm going to go for another 25 minutes on it. But Fisher, in the end, we moved him on to North and our first round pick, pick 17, in return, getting picks 22 and 26. Now, we spoke about this in our sort of list analysis trade preview episode that Austin had to kind of get creative, improving our draft hand. We initially had pick 17 and pick 70. Now, given that we need to take at least two picks in this year's draft and we kind of need to bring in some youth, there's not a lot of talent in that sort of under 23s really pushing for to be into that best 22 pushing to be superstars you can't you've got to avoid bottoming out you can't afford to just keep topping up on those sort of peak players you need someone coming through and i think that this is where we kind of needed to address this this trade kind of helped us out in that because breaking down this deal essentially we trade five spots back going from 17 to 22 And then we move up 44 spots from pick 70 to 26, getting us two picks inside the top 26. And looking at the draft, it's highly compromised this year. There's academy picks. There's free agency compo picks. North are getting assistant packages out of their behind. It's ridiculous. Doesn't help the matter. This is kind of where I would have loved to have kept pick 17. But if you're offering me pick 17 and pick 70 or picks 22 and 26, you know, two inside that top 30, I'm kind of going for the two. And that's just because having watched this draft crop over this year and and definitely last year, excuse me, as well, I really see a big band of players across kind of 15 to 30 that I'm struggling to kind of split and rank them. Normally I find these drafts, it's a little bit clearer in the tiers. You'd normally say, okay, these guys are definitely your top 20 and sort of 20 to 25 or 20 to 30, it's really clear where these guys rank. I don't kind of see that as much this year, which is kind of why I'm happy to have two stabs at that sort of top 25 picks, those, you know, 15 to to 30. Why not have two goes at it? Kind of think that that's a bit of a smart move. And I'm going to touch on it in a little bit, but we probably didn't have those other draft picks to kind of maneuver better deals. So I think, yeah, getting those two picks there for Fisher, it's kind of the best you could have done. And on Fisher himself, he just never really took the kind of step we needed him to, much like, I guess, a Dow. And we weren't really offering the game time. So you just can't get like a lot of value for him. He wants to play a lot more midfield. He's made that known and we just can't, we can't offer him that. Positional wise, looks like he's going to be that halfback kind of split midfielder. And gee, we've got a plethora of halfbacks. It's just not a position of need. So if you're looking at it that way, maybe not as big a loss as you think it it could be. 
would have loved for us to to haggle here and say, look, 20, pick 26 for Zach Fisher. Beautiful. But he's not playing in our best 22. We didn't offer him in the game time. There's just not a great deal of value. And given our weak draft hand, the thing I was just talking about, what could you offer at the negotiation table? I think if you have like a third round pick here, you could say, okay, you give us pick 26, we'll give you Fisher in a third. And maybe you can start to haggle around that. But we didn't have that. We didn't have that. We kind of took a slight loss in giving up the valuable pick 17 because we hampered ourselves by last year bringing in a, uh, a Blake Acres. We don't think anyone's looking at that in a negative, saying, why did we do that? What are we doing? And something we all often forget is we kind of got an extra pick last year. You look at it and say, okay, why do we not have a second-round pick this year? Maybe that's vital. We got Lockie Cowan last year, so you can almost treat Lockie Cowan as if a player that we've picked in the upcoming draft because that's what we essentially did. We used that future pick, brought in Lockie Cowan, got an extra year of development in him. I think it's kind of a win, and I think that this trade kind of wins for everyone. It allows us to strengthen the draft hand, move on a guy that just wasn't probably going to get a game, and now we can refresh the squad. We can bring in two guys who are 18 years old, have hopefully a higher potential than what we got out of Zach Fisher, and look to develop him. But let me know your thoughts on that trade, because I know a lot don't like that we gave up pick 17. Let me know. What, are, what else would you have tried to have done to make sure we get more than just pick 17 and 70. I'm very keen to hear your thoughts. And now the fun begins. Let's get into it. One of the rarest acquisitions. Uh, I definitely did not see this one coming. D-listed free agent, Orazio Fantasia. Oh, geez. I Bizarre. Now, I'm pretty sure his name is actually pronounced Fantasia or something like that. Something that definitely sounds more Italian. However, that's not fun. And if BT doesn't call him that, we're not going to worry about it. He's made a career out of botching last names. I think Fantasia sounds way cooler and it allows you to do the BT bit. So I'm going to start calling him that until he comes out and tells me not to. Um, so Fantasia, as I said, look, never in a million years would I have imagined Orazio would have moved this year to Carlton. And it's kind of funny too, on a bit more of a personal note, he is one of those players for me that playing against us cannot stand him. Like, just a weird, stupid amount of anger and hate towards him. I think it's the Essendon factor, and then he goes to Port, and he's just that kind of annoying small forward. So it makes it funny now that he plays for us that we're going to have to cheer him on. Just I find that a bit strange. It's like Lockie hating the Lockie Schultz, and if he had ever come to us, who knows what would have happened. He's very fortunate because Schultz, he's gone to Collingwood, so we can hate him even more. Fortunately, I've got an our love. Fantasia. So let's dive in. Let's talk about him because somewhat divisive, I think. There's there's definitely a level-headed midway to analyzing this pickup, which I feel like I'm there. I'm going to delve down both sides because I know some people, obviously, player comes to your club, you're going to talk him up like he's the second coming of Eddie Betts, like he's the greatest small forward that's ever existed. There's other people saying because of his injuries, massive bust, what are we doing? think I'm somewhere in the middle, but let's jump into it. Let's talk about Orazio and, and give me your thoughts on this. I'm keen to hear what the listeners have to say because, okay, four games he has played of AFL football in the last two years. 
that's not good. That is not a good start. I know he was available to play a bit more this year, playing a fair bunch in the Sandful, but wasn't able to break into Port's team. Played 15 games, however, in his first year at Port. So that's a positive. But then, unfortunately, only four in the last two seasons. That's not good. And judging with his injury track record here, he has not played more than 15 games a season since 2017. In that season, though, did play 20. And in that game, that season he played 20 games, he kicked 39 goals. So that's clear to me that when this guy plays, he kicks bags. And in a year, he played 15 for Port three years ago, kicked 28. So this guy, if he is fit, he's a good player. The issue clearly is durability. Now, that is something that a lot of our players have kind of struggled with, which is a bit of our worry. A lot of talk has been about um, big old Andy Russell and our (laughs) strength, rehabilitation, everything that we have done with injured players hasn't been good. But this is something that if he's employed and if this is the fitness team that we're going with, you just have to back him in that they're going to get the best out of players. McGovern last year, Charlie Kerno, there has been some positives. So let's back him in and hope that they get Orazio right. Because, look, if you're thinking about bringing Orazio in on big money, let's just say, as this big saviour for our forward line, then, of course, I think this move is a massive disaster. But that's not what we're doing here. He's on low money. This is a guy that was offered a one-year deal at Port, kind of wanted a bit more, was offered, I think he was offered two years by GWS, but on their rookie list. So he wanted a bit more security, but we came to the table and said, hey, we'll give you two years on the senior list. We can offer that to you. That's kind of what you needed to get this deal done. So there were still other teams that we're competing in top eight contention with to to fight for this grand final that were after him. So he's obviously in, in decent nick body-wise that these guys think that there's something that he still has in the tank. But low money, two years is kind of the only issue, but that's what we needed to get done to get to us. If you're looking at this acu- acquisition, as he basically replaces Sam Philp on the list as one of the last options on the list, which is kind of what he is, I think it's a massive win. Which, yeah, that's that's how I'm seeing it. Let me know what you guys think in the comments and on the socials at Navy Blue Corner because that's how I'm portraying this. I'm not getting ahead of myself thinking he's going to come in and be that 39-goal, 20-game player. I don't think he's that, but I don't think he needs to be that because let's look at the list spots. We had three left. Now, that's either three draftees that we bring in who – going to be young, inexperienced. You don't know what they're going to be like at the level. They may take time to develop or, which is what we've done in this circumstance, we've taken two, we're going to get two picks, take them to the draft. And the other pick, basically that last spot goes to Orazio, who, look, body aside, he's ready. He's ready to go and he's proven at his craft at the level. So I think the other positive for me, it's what he brings off field. It's what, you know, if we're worried about him playing, then don't worry because regardless of whether he's on the field or not, he's going to bring something valuable that we currently don't have, which is experience. And he's someone that's going to be able to teach this young crop of small forwards. Look at Motlop, Owies, and Durden. They're the ones we have, all young, or Owies, in his case, is still pretty inexperienced for his age. And currently on the list, there's no one really to teach them. We don't have that Eddie Betts-style mentor there to 
to show them the craft, to teach them the ways. There's no one there. And this is where, for me, he earns almost that second year because at least he can teach these guys coming through. And that's a hole on the list that is now kind of filled. And I get it. If he doesn't play, it's a bit frustrating. It's a bit of a waste due to the two-year deal. But for me, it's just of such little risk because he's not going to be on a lot of money. And it's one of the last list spots. That's how you've got to view it because this is not that big acquisition of, holy shit, we've brought in the missing piece. Low risk. High reward. I think it's a smart move. And yeah, at his best. And I don't, this is where I'll go over the top. This is where I would give you that ridiculous hot take. This is the kind of move that can potentially win you a flag. Good teams in the past, we haven't been that for a long time, but good teams, they find a way to get this guy that, you know, out of nowhere, he steps up, that no one's expecting it. And he wins you, he wins you games of footy. That's what at least Orazio, from what we've seen, can kind of do. And I'm not saying he will. I'm definitely not expecting him to. Like, let's let's temper it down because of his injury record. He needs to prove it first. But if you want to get as optimistic as possible, I think the ceiling's there. He's shown it before. High upside, low risk move. Adds to a position of need and an age that we need in this forward line to add that experience. You know, I think it's perfect. And I'm keen to get your thoughts, please, seriously, because best... Worst case scenario for me anyway, if we're going to do a best worst case scenario, is he's at least maybe fit when Martin's inevitably not fit, if that makes sense. Like, we've just got to find a way between Jack Martin and Orazio Fantasia that get there, make sure their rehab schedules don't overlap. That if Martin's, when he's eventually missing that, you know, five to 10 games a season, that's the five to 10 games a season that Orazio is finally fit and ready to go. If we do that, I think that that's the best worst case scenario possible. But no, let me know your thoughts on Orazio down in the comments on YouTube or over on the socials at Navy Blue Corner. Keen to know what you think. Is it a good move? Are you happy that we went for him in the end? Where do you? How many games do you think he's going to play? All that fun stuff. I'm keen to know what you think. But now let's take a look. We've talked about who's come in. We've talked about who we've traded away and what for. So let's have a look at it. I've got kind of two ways of judging the the ins and outs. I'm going to start with this one to really simplify it and then we'll really, really deep dive into it a little bit later. So Zach Fisher is an out. I've said he's going to be playing halfback for North. That's what he is. If you look at last season, we were able to bring in a Chincotta as one of those sort of injury replacements for a Zach Williams. Kim and Boyd kind of taken over that halfback role. You can kind of look at this as Jim Cotter comes in for Zach Fisher. Done. There you go. Next one, Paddy Dow comes out as that sort of mid-depth option. Elijah Hollins takes that, but adds a little bit more being able to play your high half forward. I think that that kind of cancels itself out. Probably a bit of a win for us in the upside. Then Ed Kerner retires. He will get replaced by, I guess, pick 22. There's no real sort of straight replacement for him. Apart from that, you got Lockie Plowman who retires. Lockie Cowan has kind of replaced him in the squad. I talked about that as that early draft pick as we traded future second, which is this year's second that we no longer have because we got Lockie Cowan in a year early. He's that defender. He's going to take that Plowman role. I think that's going to be a a bit of an upgrade in years to come. Lockie O'Brien comes out of it. And Jackson Binns is that guy from last season who kind of made Lockie O'Brien redundant. He still had a year to run on his contract, still had a year to go at this football club. But because of the development of him, Ollie Hollins, 
Cottrell, these kind of guys, a bit of a move from uh, Sam Doherty out of the defense onto the wing in midfield as well has meant that we don't really need O'Brien in this squad anymore. We've got enough depth in that role. So for me, that bin sort of takes over. Sam Philp is one that maybe we didn't bring in enough players to replace. So pick 28 will replace Sam Philp. He was taken as a, as a ridiculously high pick. So that kind of replaces that. And then this is why I think Fantasia is that plus positive for me because he comes in for a Josh Honey. And Honey wasn't playing, he was at least fit, but he wasn't playing a lot of games of football in that forward line. You'd say Razio Fantasia is about 50 times better than the player of Josh Honey. No disrespect to the great man. Absolutely love him. But on their day, Fantasia is a really, really good small forward in the AFL. So I think if you're looking at it this way, looking at who came in, who came out, it's kind of a win for me. I don't see too much of a loss. It feels as if we're just slowly turning over those players that had hit their level and were kind of stagnating or needed to be moved on. And we're bringing in that next crop that can hopefully take us forward. Now, let's look at the proper depth chart. Let's let's try and look at this. And I'm keen to get your thoughts. What do you think of the depth chart? Am I got anything wrong in my rankings? So basically, what I try to do from this is green is best. 22 kind of thing. Yellow is that next. You're very much on the cusp of being in that best 22. Uh, and then you kind of got that orange there that you're a bit more of that depth play. You are breaking case of emergency or you're really young and still developing in those roles. So let's take a look at it. Look at the key defenders because that's pretty simple. Not much has changed there. Weedering and McGovern are the number, number one and two guys there. Lewis Young's that corner next. And then you've got Sam Durden as the depth. Third defenders, those sort of third tools. It's kind of Kempy and Marchbank. They're almost really fighting it together. I've just got it there because Brody Kemp played a lot more football this year. Dom is obviously that depth option. I still think there's a bit of a gap as far as maybe one last player there. That's kind of where I think Plowman was. Is that a, a, a scope for Cowan to take that, knowing he can play a little bit higher? Potentially, do we need someone else? In that role, knowing Marchbank and, and McGovern's injury history, potentially, that's why I've kind of left that open there to get one more body. If possible, general defenders is where we're absolutely sorted. Saad, Williams, Newman, Boyd are those starters for me. Chincotta and Cowan are kind of that next depth option. And then there's sort of that one last position that I think you could maybe get another developing player in there. If necessary, if not, I think we're, we're still sorted because you can get a Doherty that can go back into that as well. Plenty of options for Carlton in defense, which is good. Ruckman, DeConing number one, Pitonet second, and then you've got your O'Keefe and Murkov as your kind of developing depth play. Bit of a worry, I think, still here. We've never really addressed this because we've said for quite a while now, Pitt, and uh, DeConan get injured, and you've got nothing. We saw it being Lewis Young and Jasos rucking. Not ideal. I'm fine with having an O'Keefe there developing. I just think Murkov is the obvious guy to move on. Now got the heart condition as well. Has not taken any real steps in development for me. I'll put my hand up right now. I've been wrong before. Happy to be proven wrong because it means we're a better football team. But I just can't see Alex Murkov really ever doing a lot for us. I don't think he's ever going to play a game. So for me, I would have found a way to move him on. I know he's contracted, but I wouldn't have signed him to two years when we did and bring in a bit more of an experienced body. It doesn't have to have been someone that 
is going to be a number one ruck option for us, but just someone that, you know, for a couple of years, break in case of emergency is fine. And I don't know, is that a, a Sam Naismith who I think he's ended up going to Richmond? Those kind of players that don't have to be world beaters, but they can be that third guy there just waiting in case we need someone. And it also maybe helps O'Keefe develop a little bit, someone to learn something off in the VFL. Just feel like the structure of our of our list in, you know, you've got De Koning is that one that's kind of your number one growing pit is that more sort of prime level age ready to go and you got two developing it's like we need that veteran guy in there it just doesn't i don't love it i don't love the ruck situation still but list spot wise we can't really address it unfortunately but midfielders let's take a look at this this is where we maybe still need to address a little bit of depth but we got Cripps, walsh chera doherty hewitt kennedy kind of is that next and this is where you've got elijah hewitt coming in Jack Carroll being someone that still is developing. We definitely need to see a bit more of him in 2024. What can he offer? Hopefully can take that sort of Paddy Dow spot. But you can always have a lot more depth. Like I've cut it off there because that's kind of where I had it. Um, you can maybe add one more of where Ed Kerno potentially was. But me, you can never have too many midfielders for me. But right now, I think we're pretty stocked. It's just about getting in the maybe the quality rather than just quantity in that one. Wingers, we're absolutely sorted. Akers and Holland starting. Then you got rotating guys like a Doc and a Cottrell can go through there. And Bins as well, massive year in the VFL. You really expect to see him play a little bit of footy this year in that sort of wing half forward role. Someone that can maybe start to take those steps up. Very excited in what he can actually accomplish. Now let's move on to the key forwards. Probably my other key issue area but something we just can't kind of can't fix in the draft because you got charlie you got harry deconing can go in there if you need him to you've also got a guy like jsos that can go in there and then it's harry lemmy who's still developing very very raw just not ready to go really think that that's still kind of that glaring option um but i do want to touch on that a little bit more um talking about some delisted free agent players. So that, yeah, I'll leave it at that as far as there's clearly a hole. Because if those two get injured, we're struggling, much like the Rucks. There's no one else to bring in. So that's a list hole for me. Then you look at that sort of general forwards, high half forwards. It's Jack Martin, Cottrell, and Silvani starting. Then you got Cunners. Then this is kind of where I've got Elijah Hewitt at the moment. Don't have him above anyone. I think he needs to prove it. I need to see a lot more of him. But he's got the scope to jump straight into the starting 22 for me. That's where it stands now. Want the preseason. Want to see what he's got and where his level is. Uh, and then Lockie Fogarty, probably a little bit stiff. But I'm looking at ceiling, kind of, is why Fogarty is there. But we saw that he's got a big role to play in this team with that pressure and what he allows others to do. So he could well and truly be a little bit higher. Uh, small forwards. Motlop, always. I've got Fantasia in that yellow, in that next sort of category. He's not starting just because I don't trust him yet. I need that body to be right. But if you're asking me if he's fully fit, I think he takes Owe's spot. I think we saw Owe's in finals that it wasn't perfect. And I know it was only a few games out of, he was our best small forward all season. Does worry me slightly. So that is kind of the area to improve. Does Fantasia take that spot? I think if fit, yes. 
the moment he's not, I don't know if he's fit. I don't know where he, where he currently is. So he's going to sit there and you've got Durden and Fogarty applying those next spots. So we've taken a look at that. Let's have a look at further at those ins and outs because not only, let's say for an example of a Lockie Plowman, have I said, okay, Cowan takes that spot, but that now sort of offers a spot because that's Lockie Cowan's spot. So who takes that? Let's dive into this and see if we need more depth anywhere else. General sort of third defenders. Lockie Plowman goes. Lockie Cowan takes his spot. Somewhat. Somewhat I think we need someone else here. It's just a matter of who is it? Like there's been talk obviously about Hayden Crozier. He's now been delisted. But as we've brought in Fantasia, it feels as if we're not going to be bringing anyone in. We don't have the list spots. We've only got two. We need to take three in the draft, which... I know that doesn't compute, but basically we'll take two draft picks. We'll elevate someone off the rookie list, put them on the senior list. So we hit the minimum requirements of senior list. We nail all the rookies and nail the full list. That's how it's going to roll. So unfortunately, there's probably scope for a bit of a player in that developing defending role, just because I don't really trust, I guess, Dom at this stage. But if everyone's fit, Probably not too bad. Then looking at the mid half forward is what I'm going to classify Ed Kerno as. Elijah Hollands slots straight into that. He can play both of those roles. And that's a one for one. We don't need to worry about depth for me. Uh, wing, as I said, Lockie O'Brien out. In comes Jackson Bins because of everyone else stepping up. I feel like that depth spot's kind of redundant. We don't need any more wingers. We've got enough. And hell, we're getting two next year in the Camp Rally Twins. We don't need Lockie O'Brien on this list anymore, unfortunately. Thanks for your service. But Jackson Bins will take over from here. Now, Sam Phil, I'm to classify him as a wing, kind of half forward, kind of be a hybrid, be whatever you want him to be, which opens that list spot up to our draft D, where don't know who we're going to take yet. No one knows who we're going to take, obviously. We'll be diving into the draft content as soon as we finish the trade period and the list analysis of this episode. But this is where I see us replacing a Sam Philp. One of those high picks, getting it done. Still a bit of a list hole, maybe. Maybe do we need someone with a bit of dash, with a bit of speed? That's where we'll replace Sam Philp. Uh, Josh Honey is that kind of small forward. Orazio Fantasia takes it, no worries. Simple. So far, I'm not seeing any issues. But I know a lot of people have spoken about depth, but feels like we're covering a lot of these positions really, really well. Then Zach Fisher, you have to classify him as a halfback for me. And this is where you look at Chincotta or a Boyd that we spoke about. And feels like a position we have a lot of depth of. Don't think we really need to. Saad, Williams, Newman, Boyd, Chincotta, Cowan. Do we need anyone else? We got Doherty, you can throw back there. George Hewitt, how they threw Matt Kennedy there at one stage. Feels like anyone can play as that halfback. For me, that's not a massive worry. And who knows? Do we use that draft E spot there for, let's say, let's do what all the other teams are doing that you see the good teams do, like they've done with a Nick Dacos, maybe like a Harry Sheasel as well, where you draft a guy who's a bit more of a midfielder but you start him in that halfback role. Maybe that's what we need to do here, and that covers Fisher for a little bit if you needed some more depth. I think that could be something that we look to do, just aids their development. They can slow the game down. They can see the ball a little bit easier, understand the gameplay, get used to the speed, and then all of a sudden, 
jump into the midfield after a couple of years of development. But I think we're kind of sorted there. Uh, midfield depth, probably the only one that I'll asterisk is Paddy Dow leaving. Looking at this, this is the spot for the draftee slash a Jack Carroll. We need to see more from Jackie Boy. Let's hope he can take that next step. Otherwise, this is where we maybe need to draft another one of those midfielders coming through. But I do kind of feel like we've got enough guys to go through there. It's just the quality of the guys for me. Because you got Cripps, you got Walsh, Chera, Doherty, Hewitt, Kennedy. Like, you got Elijah Hollands. Like, what more do you actually sort of need with that midfield? Fogarty's gone through there. Cunningham can potentially do it. There's a lot of names through there that are absolutely competent to play midfield. It's just about getting guys that are better than those. And there probably wasn't a heap available in the sort of trade period that I think made sense. So I don't think that that's the worst thing that we replaced Paddy Dow with a draftee with high potential and slash Jack Carroll. I think that for me kind of works. So judging now the depth that we've replaced, who's come in, who's gone out, let's grade the trade period. I want to know how you guys are grading it. We're going school report style. I'm going to give it a B. Maybe it could have been a B plus, but look, it wasn't an out of this world trade period. However, I'm not sure it needed to be. Would I have loved a top tier A grader brought in, take us to that complete best team in the AFL by far? Of course, but they weren't out there. Looking at the names that went in the trade period, guys you could have brought in, they weren't there. And I'm not sure that that's what the list truly needs anyway. Right now, I think we need a bit of youth coming through. We need a bit more of these role players to really complement the plethora of A-grade stars that we already have. We've strengthened our draft hand, two in the top 26. We moved on down Fisher. We're kind of stagnating players a little bit in their development. We need to bring in the next crop instead. I think we've nailed that. Don't feel like we lost out in any of those trades either. We didn't lose anyone we wanted to keep. Fisher and Dow were guys that were kind of happy to move on. We've re-signed everyone we needed to. Elijah Hollins and Fantasia come in to add depth and a bit of upsize. Even if both don't work out, we gave up nothing for them anyway. They replaced, say, Philp and Honey on the list spot-wise anyway. They're worth the gamble for me, and they suit the list needs and holes. We didn't maybe address the key forward or ruck situation, which is maybe why I don't give it a complete A+. It wasn't ridiculous. We didn't bring in a superstar, but... It wasn't a bad trade period at all. I give it a B. That's where I have it. I want to know what you guys think as well. Because are there still any lifts holes? Touched on them slightly. Do we need to strengthen them? And who can we even bring in? So let's talk about it. Let's talk about this before I get into the listener questions. And we pretty much wrap this episode up. So for me, I think our list holes, key forward, as I, as I mentioned, is probably the biggest one. It's Charlie, Harry, then nothing. I think TDK really stepped up this year late. We saw what he can offer down in that forward line. But I'm really not comfortable past that to have a Harry Lemmy or JSOS be those kind of key forwards in the depth chart. Brody McLaughlin was the, the real name that I thought made a lot of sense. I would have loved to us to bring him in to at least cover it for one year. Delisted free agent who was the tied highest goal kicker in the VFL this year. I think he's played about 30 or so games of AFL. He's a body that's ready to go, decent age, breaking case of emergency. I think that it's kind of what I'm looking for in that depth spot. 
The issue simply is we don't have the list spot for him. As it stands, we've got two free, which means given the draft rules, we've got to take at least three. So we're going to take the two and the and the rookie upgrade. Fortunately, we just can't address it. And I don't want us getting another young key forward in like a Harry Lemmy. It just doesn't feel like that's the area that we need. If we're bringing in a key forward, it needs to be someone ready to go for an injury. The only other way I can see this being addressed is if there's an injury and we get someone in the uh, SSP. But that's something, one, I don't want to happen. I don't want us to get an injury. And then depending on who goes down, we may have to address that position anyway. Not something I want us to delve down. So probably not a position we can address. Probably just going to be a bit of a list hole that we have to deal with. Same with the rucks is basically the same thing. You can copy paste what I just said about key forwards. Say it for rucks. And I'm sure you could have got someone that is at least capable of rucking for a game if you were desperate for, but we can't do it. So the last kind of depth issue, list issue, gaps for me are midfield and maybe not a position as such. The probably a skill need is just give me someone with speed and someone with good ball use. I think that's kind of where we're looking at it now. And those are the things I think we can look for in the draft. Looking early at the draft, there's going to be plenty of those kind of players around our rankings. And it's just a matter of kind of who we're looking at. I'm just trying to get up my rankings really, really quickly here to just throw out a couple of names that could be available around the picks of what, 22 and 26. So... 27, I think it'll end up being, sorry, with, uh, yeah, it was 22 and 28, but with Gold Coast losing, it's basically 27, you know. There's plenty to be in there. You know, does a Colton Tholstrup drop to us and there's your kind of other forward in there that can take a mark and kick a bag or is it a, a running player like a Di Matea? You go down the, the route of that defender like a like a Jayath or, or do you keep towards these other midfielders? Do you go with George Stevens? Do you have a look at, you know, yeah, do you do you look at a, at Charlie Edwards inside the midfielder, Cooper Simpson type? Like for me around this, there's a plethora of those midfielders, somewhat small forwards, somewhat halfbacks that can kind of cover those positions that we're probably needing that are decent ball users, have got a bit of pace, got a bit of flair about them. That's kind of that area of the draft, so why not get two there? And it feels like, for me, the depth is probably what we're going to need. Um, any other players that I wish we maybe went for that did go in the in the trade period? Look, overall, I, I don't think we really missed out on anyone. For me, like there weren't a lot of big movers in this trade period. I'll throw a bunch of names just for conversation. Lockie Schultz is the obvious one. I think we needed a proven small goal kicker. But do we have the do we have the cap room for him? Do we you know are we we're gonna give up all the picks next year that we'd need to bring the twins in to get him in? I don't know. It just didn't feel like it was the right move, but he'd probably be the one I would have loved. Uh Liam Henry would have added some pace to that kind of half forward wing, but I'm just it's hard to know if he's the kind of player that would fit. Like I'm not sure he's the right piece to complete the puzzle. Good player, but I'm not that sad that we've missed out. Similar in a Xavier Dersma, another one that maybe could have worked for that half forward wing midfield role, but I like that he can hit the scoreboard as well. That's a, a good aspect of Dersma. Again, he wants game time. 
I don't think we can necessarily offer him that completely like he did could at an Essendon. And like Henry, I'm not sure he's that right puzzle piece. And the only other player, and this was literally for some depth. This was a Jack Billings type. You know, he would have been a fine depth play added to the midfield and maybe even that half forward role as well. Issue is he has his injury problems and he's even further down the depth chart than he would at Melbourne. And the only reason he's moving there is because he wants to play football. Again, he's not getting that for us. And there's really no one else that I'm looking at, really, at all the players that went this trade period that I would have liked. But let me know. Was there anyone that you guys were like, why did we not go after this guy? He went to whoever he went to. We could have made the deal happen picks-wise. He would have been that missing piece. I want to know. But for me, there just really wasn't anyone. And looking at yeah, those delisted free agents, guys that you could still target, can't really. We don't have the list spots. It would have been that Brody McLaughlin down forward. Otherwise, what do you look at that that key third tall defender slot for um, Jeremy Borlace from Adelaide? They delisted him. He's twenty one, but they have said that they're going to re rookie him. But I don't know. Could you find a way to get that done? Don't have the list spots, so don't worry about it. And yeah, probably the only other one was Sean Manor from Werribee in the VFL. I think he sort of suits that high half forward role, dominated in that VFL grand final. But yeah, the list spot went to Orazio instead. It probably means he's off the table, but I really would have loved to have seen this guy at Carlton, seen what he could offer at the top level. I'm sure he'll get picked up by someone, but that one, um, yeah, going to be very interesting. But I'll wrap this up by jumping into some listener questions to finish this one. Um, we got one, a couple here from Brad Nickel, um, great listener of the show, who says, with the addition of Orazio and Hollands this offseason, what are the current thoughts on how we'll balance the side next season? And that's a really good question. Um, going back to a little bit of that depth sort of squad to see that best 22, I think the Orazio one's pretty simple. I reckon he kind of comes in for your for your Matty Owies style player. I think just with the upside of Motlop, you play him and see what Durden can do in his development, but it gives you options in the forward line, which is maybe something we haven't had. Same with an Elijah Hollands. It's just about the right mix and who's in form. There's a competition for spots now. You know, Cottrell, Silvani, Cunningham, Hollands, Fogarty, Bins, there's so much competition around those kind of players. Even you can throw Motlop, Fantasia, Durden, Owies. All these guys are fighting for spots in that forward line now. So it's about what you can bring to it. And I really think that Hollands adds a bit more of that midfield blend. He probably takes maybe Fogarty's spot that you saw at the end of the end of the season in our best 22, a guy that can play forward but can do a bit more in the midfield, what we maybe wanted from Cunningham. But... I think balance-wise, it feels like we're more balanced in a way. Like, I know Dow was a bit more of that depth option, but he maybe didn't suit what we needed in the midfield. We needed a bit more pace and ball use, and that's what Hollands can offer. You know, we needed someone who can kick more goals in the forward line. That's what Fantasia can offer. So I think the side will be well-balanced, and it's just we've got more options now, everyone fit, which kind of excites me. So I, th I think that that's a really good blend of things. Um, and his other question was, is TDK the solo ruck? You know, does Williams play midfield time like Doherty did this year? And can we play four tools down back? I love this. I love when there's a bunch of questions that are all great. Now, judging 
by the fact that it sounds like we're getting, we're no longer getting the sub next year. There's just going to be an extra person on the bench. That feels like that's a double ruck move. Feels like finally it's going to be easier to play two rucks. So I think with that rule change, you're probably going to see Pitt and TDK playing every single week if fit. But I have now got to Koning as that number one ruck, and I'd probably like to see him and Silvani being the, the ruck combination because when we were playing some really good football at the start of that nine-week run, run where we just won every single game and we're beating everyone, gee, Jack Silvani looked good in the ruck, being able to add to that midfield. And I'd love to see Silvani in our best 22 if possible. And I think that's where he sits as that forward ruck, weirdly. Um, so, yeah, I think he solo rucks if we decide to do something different. But at the moment, I reckon they'll go the two. I reckon that's how it works. Uh, does Williams play mid? There's scope for it, for sure. I'd love to see if he could even offer a little bit forward of the ball. I don't know if that's an option because it feels like our defense is really, really settled. But I don't know. Ultimately, you want your best players out there. We still maybe lacked a little bit as far as transition is concerned. I think that's where Zach Williams is going to absolutely own that. So I would 100% be saying, mate, come back, be that defensive mid connector, be that running halfback that we know you can be. Start there and then we'll see what happens. If we need to throw the magnets around and throw him, you know, in the midfield, I think there's an option to do it. But I reckon just try and get that man settled. I think the worst thing you could probably do is throw him around quite a lot coming back from the big injury, just get him fit, get him firing, and get him settled. That's my kind of play. And then can we play four tools down back? I believe you're referring there to Weedering, Gav, Marchbank, and Kemp that we've kind of seen, and it's probably going to be matchup dependent. There's going to be times for it. And I like the idea that, you know, Gav can play a bit smaller, Marchie can play a bit smaller, and so can Kemp. Like all three of those aren't your quintessential big key forwards. They they can all move around the ground and do a little bit of that grunt work against a small forward. So I think I think 100%. There is definitely an option for those guys to play in the same team together. I just think you're going to see it fluctuate throughout the year. Guys who are injured, form, and then also you've just got so many of these smaller defenders to get into the team I might depend. You might find they start it and then all of a sudden we're not moving the ball well. And it's like, okay, um, Kempi, you're out. We're bringing in Boydie because we need someone who can move the ball. But currently I reckon it's three. I think it's three. And then just get some good ball users that are pacey around them to get it done. But there are teams that play three big, big key tools and then even a, a sort of marking fourth. And that's probably where you're going to need it. But yeah, I like that going back to your sort of first question, talking about the balance, it feels like we're more balanced and it's going to be just who we're coming up against and trying to match them. Uh, great question here from Sam Crispino, who says, will Orazio play more than 10 games in 2024? Now that is a massive, massive question. And we love predicting. We love a hot take. I'm going to say he plays 15. Let's get it done. Let's put it on the table now. I know looking at things, he has not played 15 games in since 2021. And even before that, in 2020, he played five for Essendon. And then he played 15 in 2019. But then 2018, he goes 13. So he's not known for playing 15 games of football. 
let alone that just the 10 in, in actuality that you've asked there. I've gone way too big on the 15, but nah, let's back him in. Let's back in the fitness staff. There's a reason for me that GWS were after him. If no one was on the market for him and we just went and picked him up, I'd be a little bit less excited about this, but Port were happy to keep him. GWS wanted him. Passed their medical. He passed our medical. That means he's he's good enough to play AFL football. They trust his body enough. Let's get him right and let's get him playing 15 and kicking 30, 40 snags. That'd be massive. We'll win the flag. So, yeah, I reckon he'll play more than 10. And then last question to finish this episode of Davo 71 kind of talking a little bit about what we were just touching on, says, I've been a massive detractor of Andrew Russell, but the ball is in his court right now. Has a massive opportunity to nurse everyone through a preseason for the first time in his time at the club, have a full list ready for round one. Now might be his time to shine. And I like that. I like that you've gone positive as well on it. That's very on brand with this podcast because we've said many negatives towards Andrew Russell in his time. But I think like you say, can we just for one time in feels like 20, 30 years that we can have a full preseason where we don't have one of our superstars getting out injured, one of our top 10 players not doing their ACL? That would be a first. I would like that. So just please, fingers crossed, no injuries, touch on all the wood. Let's get this team fit and firing because there's a competition for spots and I don't want someone just getting their chance because of injury. I want it to be because of form and everyone fighting for it. Let's get these boys fit and firing, ready to go. I think that was one of the harsher things, lessons learned by the end of last season was we just maybe weren't as fit as we needed to be. We had a couple of players coming back from injury. We weren't as settled, I think, is the right thing I'm looking for there. Forward line changed in quite a lot. In the final series, let's keep that stable. Let's get the chemistry building Big opportunity for Andy Russell, but let's back him in. Let's back in everyone that we've brought in. Let's back in Hollands. Back in Orazio Fantasia. Gee, I wouldn't have imagined me saying that this time last year, but that is the trade period recap show. There's plenty more content before the end of the year. We've got the AFL draft to cover. I'll be doing some previews of that. We'll be reviewing the picks that happen. If there's any other content that you guys want as well, before we wrap up at the year, Drop it in the comments on YouTube. Let me know on the socials at Navy Blue Corner. I'll do my best to try and record when possible. The good news is the next couple of weeks, pretty free, pretty much until December. My weeks at the moment, fingers crossed, aren't too busy. So content can be flying out if possible. But I'm very excited to cover the draft. I think Austin's done a great job in getting the list to where we need it to be. With as little holes as possible, let's launch into the draft and let's launch into 2024 and let's win the flag. Let's get it done. Up the bloody baggers. See you guys next time.